Hello, this is Christopher Eck. I am the lead pastor at Bethany Covenant Church in Bedford, New Hampshire. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this message inspires, helps, and encourages you as you seek to live your life with Jesus. For more information about our church or to support the ministry, visit BethanyCovenant.com. Enjoy the message. Welcome again to Bethany. I'm Pastor Chris. If this is your first visit here, glad that you can be here this morning. We are in the middle of a series called The Transformed Mind. And we've been using this passage from Philippians 4, 8, and 9 throughout this whole series. Where kind of Paul, at the end of the letter of Philippians, he gives us a little kind of language of advice or language of wisdom to this church. He writes to them, Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whether you have learned or whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, put them in the practice, and the God of peace will be with you. He gives us specific things to think about, that we can put our mind on those things. And then Paul says, put them in the practice. And when you put them in the practice, now you're kind of within where God's having you live, and the peace of God will be with you. So throughout this series, we've established some important things. We've said that this, and this is true for you, but true of everybody throughout the world, is that your mind is important to God. The mind of your neighbor is important to God. The mind of your enemy is important to God. What goes through their minds? We talked about how our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. That whatever we think about, that tends to be what our life becomes. And that's true of us and it's true of those around us. Our minds are a whirlwind of thoughts. That we have a thousand to a million random thoughts that just go through our mind every single day. Makes it very difficult to manage. But you have the power and the ability to decide what your mind will dwell on. It's the midst, the, in the midst of those thousand thoughts, you can say, you know what, I'm going to choose to think about this one thing for this next five minutes or this next ten minutes or this next half an hour. Even being here now, we've really chosen to say we're going to spend this time thinking about what God's call is in our lives. So you have that ability and everyone else does. We have strong emotions. Our emotions are given to us by God. And those emotions are there not to be like the leaders of our life. Our emotions are there to be servants of our lives, to kind of understand um, kind of how we feel, how God can interact with those feelings. And so those, our feelings were given us to be servants in our lives and not leaders. And then last week we talked about the law of exposure, that what you expose your mind to most is probably what you're going to think about most, that we can't live with this kind of, kind of um, almost like a pride that says, I can just expose my mind to whatever I want to and it'll be fine. Whatever we expose our minds to, that's going to be what we think about. And just as this is true about your mind, it is true about everybody else's mind. Everybody has a mind of their own. Each of you have your own minds with your own opinions, and the person sitting next to you has their own mind with their own opinions, some of them very strong opinions. Each person comes here with their own fears, with their own past experiences, with their own emotions. 
people come and under the directions of their minds can go off in strange directions and wander to strange places. And we learn that we don't get to control the minds of other people. Like we don't get to even control the minds of our kids. Even babies have a mind of their own. We can put them down for naps, but it is up to them whether they decide to nap or not. We don't get to control that. And it makes the work of caring for people's minds and souls very complicated. That if we think our minds are complex, everybody else's mind is too. And now we're trying to care for somebody else's complex mind with our complex mind. And there's a fair amount of headwinds in doing that caring for the minds of others. And yet through all that complicating complexity of the human minds, we can always usually find a way to help. I mean, we can always usually find some way to be helpful. And we see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus, this is Matthew 9, 35, that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Think about the wide diversity of people Jesus came across just in that work alone. When he saw the crowds, this is a crowd of people, each with their own mind, each with their own opinions, each with their own directions, each with their own problems. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. They were hurting people. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to the disciples, he looks at all these people out there, and he says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the workers are few. Looking at all those people, he says, there's so much work to do. Because each one of these people is cared for and loved by God. There's so much work to do. But the people doing the work right now are very few. And he says in verse 38, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Not much has probably changed in our world today. That when we see friends and neighbors that we know because of Jesus there is more to life. There's lots of work to do. And so when we come across the minds of others, you know, some of the, when we look at how we can help people, there's probably like four things and four ways that we can help people or we do help people. And these are just kind of short before I get into the major points of the message. But one of the major ways that we help people's minds is we help them grow. Grow in knowledge, grow in wisdom, grow in basic skills that are needing for life, grow in relationship skills, that there's a growing that we want to see happen in people's minds. We want to see them grow in these areas. The second is, sometimes we just help sustain people at a time through life, that a friend or neighbor or loved one will start going through an extremely difficult moment. And all of a sudden, our job isn't to fix it because we can't fix it. Our job is to just help sustain them and get them through one foot in front of the other one day after a next day. We can't fix it, but we can come along and help sustain people through it. I think the third one of the ways we help people is by helping people reconcile and find reconciliation in life. We certainly don't want to do the opposite, which would be to encourage division and encourage unforgiveness. That's not our calling that we really want people to be reconciled to friends and family and loved ones. 
And so I think there's a reconciliation piece to this helping people. And then the fourth one is guiding, is that we cannot force people to take healthy steps, but we can encourage and we can guide and we can offer our best to them. Growing, sustaining, reconciling, and guiding. And the first thing, as we think about the minds of others, is that we need to recognize the state of people's lives, and probably the state of our own lives too, because what I'll say about others is also the same about us, and it is this, is that just because we follow Jesus does not mean that everything is okay. That's true of you, it's true of me, it's true of all of us at some point. Just because we follow Jesus does not mean that we are doing okay. Just because we follow Jesus doesn't mean you can't be struggling or be sad or depressed or that you can't be tempted. And Paul kind of reminds us that there's part of this life with Jesus that is a process. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of our mind doesn't happen all at once. It's not all healed all at once. It's a process. When people come to Jesus, we never have the expectation that once they begin to follow Jesus, they're going to be able to do high-level physics automatically. Like, we never think that. Like, oh, now they know Jesus. I bet they can do high-level physics. Or we never expect that once people come to Jesus, they're going to have now, like, huge biceps. Like, that would not be a reasonable expectation for what happens in our lives when we come to Jesus. And it's the same with our mind, that Jesus is, when we follow Jesus, heaven is assured. Forgiveness is assured. We have now eternal life. The Holy Spirit is assured. But moving our mind from an old way of thinking to a new way of thinking, that doesn't happen with a simple yes or a snap of the fingers. That is a process. And it is a process for us, for you, it's a process for me, and it is a process for others. And here's the thing is, in that process, for me, God has enormous grace as I am going through it. God has enormous grace for me as I'm going through that process. And God has enormous grace for you as you are going through that process. And for our neighbors and friends and enemies that frustrate us, God has enormous grace for them as they go through that process as well. And it doesn't get easier than at that point. Last week I talked about some of the different cultural dynamics that are alive in today's world. Kind of the increase of anxiety and sorrow and division and negative self-worth and shame, distracted living. Like I kind of talked about those as spiritual conditions. But in working with, our, with people in this world, we need to recognize the difference between those cultural issues that we face and between what really could even be more of a mental health diagnosis. Some of the ways that we are not okay is still because we're going through the process in Romans. Some of the ways that we're not okay is because there are just deeper mental health concerns and questions. And it's important to note that while prayer and scripture and community and worship can be a part of healing, we have to say that we don't overcome mental health concerns with prayer and Bible study alone. That mental health concerns are not due to a lack of faith. They are not due because we're not praying enough. They're not there because 
You know, we're lacking God's love as you help care for the minds of others. We need to see that the mind is a complex thing. There are biological things that come into place, issues of brain chemistry or brain damage or stress. There's issue of the emotions that people carry in. There are deep traumas that people come as we try and care for people's mind. Trauma is the lingering effects and impact of painful events, sometimes overwhelming events that just stays with us. Trauma has a sense of isolation to it and voicelessness. And so trauma is not just healed with Bible reading and more prayer, like deeper help is needed in those things. And so last week while we talked about some spiritual conditions and some spiritual solutions to that, as we are helping people, we need to keep in mind these other places as well and say that there's going to be other help that's needed from people that are skilled in this world of doing that work. So just because we follow these, Jesus, does not mean that we are okay. Just because others follow Jesus does not mean that they are okay, and it can be kind of like heart-wrenching work at times. But God wants to say this to you today, that regardless of what you feel about yourself or the pain that you've been through, you are valuable to God and you are acceptable to God. You are lovable and you are forgivable. You are usable. That God wants you to take, God wants to take you through this pain moment to the other side and help you find a place of healing. And sometimes it feels like the pain is just going to be too much to get through, too tall of a wall to get over, too long of a desert to traverse. But you don't need to do it all at once. It's one step at a time, one victory at a time, one counseling session at a time, one doctor's visit at a time, one small group meeting at a time. That just because we follow Jesus does not mean that we are okay. The great theologian Martin Marty, he did a great amount of work on this in the Bible on what it means to be ill. Remember when ill was like used as a positive term? Like, oh, that car is so ill. Like, do you remember? Yeah, it was a while ago. It's kind of like 70s and was groovy and 80s in Massachusetts. We'd be like, oh, that's wicked awesome. Or the 90s was like totally rad. But ill was kind of another one of those kind of, but ill has a negative effect too. And Martin Marty talks about the four ways that we are ill as people. He says, I am ill because I am human. To be human is to be flawed in some way. To be human is to make mistakes. To be human is to fall short of the kind of life that God has called us to. And God can show us this, but often we don't need to hear it from God. We know that there's something going on in our life if we're brutally and truly honest about it. He then says, I'm ill in this time and place that there could be an environment or a bad habit. There could be a cold or a sickness or cancer that hits us that where this sickness we encounter, like that's just kind of we're ill that way because of when we live. He says, then we are ill within this community and traditions. It means we are ill when it comes to our relationships, that there's going to be when, when we carry around things like unforgiveness or bitter resentments or undealt with anger or grudges, gossip, dishonesty, like that's an illness in our relationship. And then lastly, he says, I am ill alone by myself. He says, inside me, I can see it. Just because we follow Jesus does not mean we are okay, and that is okay but we can still do genuine and good healing in this day. 
And so that's the first thing as we care for the minds of others. We have grace with us, we have grace with others, we realize that people's lives and minds are all complex and that not everyone's going to be okay and we're entering into a process. The second one is this, is we must have a willingness to care and prepare our own soul to do this work. You can knock out and help the minds of other people if you're not looking at your own life and saying, okay, I'm going to care for my own life as well. And just by being here today, you're saying, I need to work on my life. I need to work on my soul. I need help to do it. I need God to help do that kind of work. And whatever business you are in working with people, doctor, teacher, accountant, pastor, parent, child, like in all those places, you're going to be working with people and you need to prepare your own mind and heart and soul to do that work. It takes health in your own life to help people in a healthy way. When I got to my mid-30s as a pastor, and they always stress this in seminary, and they say to you, like, you got to take care of yourself. you got to do this. And when you're in your 20s, you're kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be fine. Like, you're just living on a dream. And, um, and then I got to my mid-30s, and I realized... I am not healthy enough right now to keep doing this work as a pastor unless I make some changes. I didn't have good systems of self-care. I didn't have good stress management techniques. I was lacking skills that I was going to need if I was going to keep doing this. I wasn't physically healthy enough to kind of have the stamina to keep up with the schedule. And I look back now, and if I was truly honest, I probably had enough to do it until my, like, early 40s at that point, but maybe not much beyond. And I knew I had to make changes if I was going to be prepared for the work to come. And I said, I'm going to start taking care of my physical health. That was huge for me. I need to learn how to deal with stress. That was big for me. I got a mentor that helped me navigate some complex staff situations. That was big for me. If you are working with people... At some point, you need to be asking that question, am I preparing my life and my soul for this long-term work? And even after we do that, many times we're going to be called upon to help people who have gone through something that we have never gone through. We may see that with a friend, that they go through a tough time that we've never gone through. It can be as a parent, our kids may go through things at school that we never went through. They may have issues in junior high or high school that we never had to deal with. With my girls, I have never had a constant, like the constant successes that they had in school. You know, so like, you know, I never went through that. I can't relate to that, but I can still be helpful. Jesus helped many people that went through experiences that Jesus even never went through. Jesus was never blind, but he helped people who were blind. Jesus was never rich, but he helped people who were rich. Jesus was never paralyzed, but he helped them walk. Jesus was a Jewish man, but he helped a Roman soldier and a Samaritan woman. And it takes a special quality that we can all grow and develop as we care in the lives of others. And that is this quality of empathy. That in empathy, we connect with the feelings that somebody is feeling we may not have gone through what they went through, but you can see how it affected them. You're entering into their emotions. You're entering into their feelings. What is hard is that in the moment, you will not be able to fix things for them. You are just there to sustain. You are to be able to show some patience to help them get through to day to day. Some people are wonderful at showing empathy. 
and they pick up on every facial expression, every feeling, everything like that. You probably know people like that. Some, it's going to take work to reach that level of empathy. Empathy is one of the ways that we love people. In an article in the Wall Street Journal, it talked about this new highly prized management skill called empathy. And it says, empathetic leadership has long had corporate disciples, but the concept has become a bigger focus as businesses seek to bolster staff worn down by the pandemic stresses, or at least show that they are trying, or at least show that they are trying. Appreciating coworkers' points of view and understanding their struggles, some executives says, say, leads to more engaged, happy, and productive staff that many workers say is lacking. Now, I'm not sure that this is new. I think this has always been a part of good leadership. I'm not sure when an effective leader was someone who knew nothing about the lives or the strengths and weaknesses of the people that they led. I've never seen an effective leader be completely distant from their staff and have their staff like them and want the best for them. That such leaders may be able to get things done, but then is it leadership or is it just running over people at that point to get what you need. Effective leadership has always been about leading people to be more effective and better in their jobs, but also in their lives. And I'm not sure empathy is new in leadership. I think the best and most effective leaders have always done this. Empathy includes our ability to listen. It includes our ability not to immediately judge. When we went through classes in seminary on pastoral care and counseling, one of the first pieces of advice they would give you is that when somebody comes into your office and they share a concern, like, don't act shocked and surprised at what they share with you. You know, don't respond with, no way, you did that? Like, that's not a good response. Or, oh, I can't believe it. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. Like, like, not good empathy, and they'd kind of give us that, like, just stay calm and listen, and we don't want to do that with friends either, even with our kids, and it's tougher when they come to us. We don't want to act shocked or in disbelief at something that they tell, told us, that empathy is not some new concept. It is a tried and true way to care for the minds of others, that if you can communicate that you understand what somebody is feeling even if you disagree with it, even if you've never gone through it, that is a powerful way to care for somebody's mind. And if you can help grow, sustain, reconcile, um, and guide in that because of your empathy, that's going to be a huge influence in their lives. That just because we follow Jesus does not mean that we are okay, and that is okay. We must have a willingness to care and prepare our own soul we must show empathy, and I'm running out of time, but I'll get to the last one, or this one anyway, is as we seek to help the minds of others, we must resist the temptation to control people. Just always resist the temptation to control people. Because when helping someone, like our job is not to get our own way in their lives. Our job is to guide them into what Christ is inviting them to. And if our project becomes wanting to control the thoughts, the emotions, and the decisions of others, then we've moved beyond helping, and we have actually now become part of their problem. 
because now they're not making these decisions and looking out for this in their own way. If you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus always was inviting people. There's no controlling language, no manipulation, no false promises from Jesus. That Jesus invited people of their own free will. Even as we take communion today, we'll say not because we must, but because we may. We have a choice to come to the table today. And so some of those tools of control, like we don't want to show us false friendliness or kind of manipulate with expensive gifts or make empty promises or sulk when we don't get our own way or shout to wear people down the wind or nag people to wear people down the wind, being chronically late. We don't want to withhold affection until people do exactly what we want, like bullying to force people into getting what you want, badgering people so they just give in. Like those are all methods of controlling other people that are never the method of Jesus. Jesus will invite Jesus will speak the truth in a loving way. Jesus will listen. Jesus will show empathy. These are the methods of Jesus. One pastor reflecting on ministry, that he talked about this. He says that it would be nice kind of if we can control things. And he says, it would be nice if God had just given us a magic wand to erase the effects of sin and death to undo the tangled web of deceit and corruption that has engulfed planet Earth. But we pastors are not magicians, and there is no incantation that can drive away the deathly spell that has fallen like a sullen pall over all the Earth. We are not traffic cops and policemen ferreting out sin and corralling scoundrels and reprobates, strong-arming people into swapping their vices for virtue in a corrupt and decaying world. We are not called to haul out trite and worn bits of God talk in a futile attempt to make people feel better. We're not commissioned to go around pasting smiley faces on the human heart, on human hurt and tragedy. That things that we do are, do not happen automatically. We're not always able to control those things. We have a message of forgiveness. We have the message of Jesus' compassion. We have the visual of the cross. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the wisdom of Proverbs. We don't seek to control. We seek to offer the many good gifts that God offers. And then the last part of my encouragement was this, is that you help the mind of others. You are doing eternal work. You're doing eternal work. It says in John 6, 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. It says in Philippians 3, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal, to the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. John 17, now this is eternal life, that they know you and the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. And 2 Corinthians 4, therefore we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. That we are doing eternal work as we care for the minds of others.